Critics say that a Department of Defense extremism training checked a box with no lasting results. What does that mean as civilian and uniformed leaders make efforts to confront extremism in the ranks? Produced by Defense News and Military Times, this is the Early Bird Brief. Each morning, we bring you the defense and national security news of the day. It isn't simply having an extreme belief, but it's acting violently on behalf of that belief. Following the January 6th attack on Capitol Hill, some said the Pentagon stand-down prompted productive discussions, but others described the effort as either unnecessary or half-hearted. What does it all mean for our defense and security? You'll find out. I'm your host, Jonathan Lairfeld. Today is December 4th, 2023. Nikki Wentling, our military veterans and journalism fellow, thank you for joining us. Can you tell us why we're looking at the story now? And can you tell us more about the one-day training the Pentagon did on domestic extremism? Sure. So um, we're coming up on the three-year anniversary of the January 6, 2021 attack on the Capitol, um, the event that triggered the military-wide stand-down. As you likely remember, in D.C. that day, there was a chaotic protest aimed at thwarting the peaceful transfer of power for the new president. And a lot of imagery that came out of January 6 you know, showed veterans wearing tactical gear outside the Capitol. The woman killed during the breach was a veteran. You know, it quickly became evident that some members of the veteran and military community were involved. So in reaction to that event, um, Secretary Lloyd Austin called for a stand down to address extremist ideologies in the ranks. And units across the country were then, you know, left to decide the best way to convey that message. So those trainings occurred, um, you know, the winter and spring of 2021, And since then, there's been a lot of noise about them. Like here we are talking about it nearly three years later. And um, that's because it's still being brought up in Congress by lawmakers who point to it as part of, you know, President Biden's effort to make the military quote unquote woke and service members themselves still have a lot to say about it. It's very much remained a point of contention. So what we set out to do at Military Times was say, okay, the stand down is still being used in a variety of arguments about the direction of the military. Let's just talk with service members themselves and learn what happened that day. So we put out a call and got about 40 responses back from service members who had experienced the training firsthand. Most of them asked for anonymity because they were still worried about retaliation for talking about it openly. You know, they represented four of the branches. They underwent training at dozens of locations. Uh, One was aboard a missile cruiser at the time. Um, Another was deployed in Afghanistan. Uh, Most were scattered at bases across the country. So we talked to those folks. And then we also spoke with experts in the extremism prevention space about the stand down and what it might have accomplished and whether it was a good idea. So what was the main message of that stand down? And then separately, do you think it stuck with people? Sure. Yeah. So the Pentagon, you know, released its, I guess, curriculum uh, for the stand down. And according to that, you know, the training was meant to remind service members of the oaths they took. Um, It was also meant to let them know they could be booted from service if they were caught advocating for extremist ideologies. Um, And it was meant to like really send them, you know, a warning that they could be targeted by extremist organizations for recruitment um, because those groups are seeking people with their skills to join their movements. And it also touched on, you know, service members' First Amendment protections, uh, which has, you know, been a big issue. And it, it cited a Supreme Court decision from the 70s that said, 
you know, First Amendment protections could be applied differently to service members because of the need for obedience and discipline in the military. So the commands took that curriculum and decided how to apply it. Most of the service members I talked to said it was presented in like a slide presentation form with some questions left at the end. And the length of that really you know, varied. Some said it lasted about an hour. One person said it was about 15 minutes. So getting to your question about, you know, whether the message stuck, the the opinions and experiences of the service members I spoke with were really different. Their political beliefs varied. Some thought there was no need for the training at all, while some you know, saw this huge need for this sort of training. There was a through line, you know, with all of them, of none of them believing the stand down made a big impact. So I heard again and again that the training checked a box, was perfunctory, uh, was less effective than regular trainings on other topics. Um, And one of the main messages I heard from them was that the training didn't stick. A few of them couldn't remember any of the contents of the training when, you know, I was talking to them about it and they were trying to pull it from their memory. And like something, one thing that really exemplified this, I spoke with a service member who said there hadn't been any obvious reminders of the training since it occurred, you know, about three years ago. He talked about how for other programs like um, SHARP or DEI programs, you know, there are posters on the walls at installations reminding people of key information. Um, And he was surprised that there wasn't, you know, a poster on the wall at his installation saying, you know, here's what's not allowed, you know, for example, with fundraising or demonstrating for ideological movements or here are the risk behaviors to look out for, um, you know, for your fellow soldiers who might be involved in extremist activities. Like there wasn't that visual reminder um, like there were with other things. And that seemed to sum up, you know, what a lot of people said about there not being follow up, you know, visually or with training, et cetera, um, with the stand down. So jumping again to the January 6th incident, how many people with a military background have been charged and or convicted for their role in the attack on the Capitol? And what percentage of all defendants is that? Yeah, so we know now that 193 people with military backgrounds have been charged or convicted for their roles in the breach of the Capitol, and that's about 17.5% of all defendants charged um, for their actions that day. You know, service members and veterans together comprise about 7% of the U.S. population, so you can see a little bit of an outsized number there. You know, investigations into individuals who were at the Capitol that day have you know, are still ongoing and have been for years at this point. At one point, people with military backgrounds made up about one in five of all the defendants. Um, but as more people have been charged, we've seen that proportion drop to about one in 10. So historically, are people with military backgrounds often involved in extremist activities like this? I guess it's a little bit of a tricky question. You know, there have been some notorious instances of veterans involved in extremism. Timothy McVeigh and the OKC bombing, for example, And, you know, no one is arguing that a large proportion of the military or veteran community is involved in extremism, um, especially violent extremism. It's a tiny fraction of the population. But experts do say that veterans and service members are targeted to join these movements, you know, because of their combat training and potentially their access to classified information. And when they do get involved, they have an outsized impact because of the training they bring to the table. Um, So there was a report earlier this year that found veterans or service members were behind one quarter of all mass fatality attacks driven by extremism since 1990. And then the University of Maryland keeps a database of people with uh, military backgrounds who have committed crimes driven by their extremist beliefs. Uh, Their data is showing that numbers are going up. So from 1990 to 2010, seven people who had served in the military were added to that list, you know, every year. 
Um, and that increased to about 63 people per year being added to the database um, from 2018 to 2022. What are Republicans versus Democrats saying on this issue? Democrats haven't been very loud on this issue, especially recently. In the past, they've defended Austin's decision to initiate a stand down. Um, they've argued that, you know, even a small number of extremists in the military could pose a big problem. Um, on the other hand, some Republicans have criticized the stand down as, you know, a means for Biden's administration to push their agenda. Um, Senator Dan Sullivan from Alaska described it at one point as a witch hunt for extremists. And it's become a familiar talking point among members of the GOP who are arguing, you know, about this rise of, you know, quote unquote, wokeness in the military. They use that term to refer to what they see as, you know, radically progressive policies. We're seeing, you know, this in the news again recently because there's um, a proposal in the defense policy bill for 2024 that would strip all funding from the military's anti-extremism initiatives. Um, it's not certain that proposal will make it through Congress, but as of now, it's being uh, considered. What else are others saying on how to define violent extremism? Yeah, well, you know, since we're talking about the military, I can give you the, the Pentagon's definition of extremism. So, you know, they put this out, um, you know, around the time of the stand down that extremism is, you know, advocating or engaging in unlawful violence or force or other illegal means to deprive individuals of their rights under the Constitution. You know, the key here is it isn't simply having an extreme belief, but it's acting violently on behalf of that belief. So to wrap up, in addition to that stand-down training, what else did Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin do as a means to help the military counter extremism? Are those actions continuing? And what else should we know? Yeah, that's a great question. As I mentioned earlier, I've talked to experts about what they thought of the stand-down and what the Pentagon has done since. Um, and those I talked to said the stand-down was a good idea, but it was you know a one-and-done kind of approach. And what's really needed to prevent extremism in the military is a sustained effort. And it's not exactly clear what the Pentagon has done recently on the issue. You know, Immediately following the stand-down, Austin created a working group on extremism that made about 20 recommendations. That was in, um, the December, in December of 2021, so two years ago now almost. We know pieces of that have been implemented, including you know, a new policy that expanded the definition of extremist activities that were prohibited by the military. But there hasn't been much transparency about what else has been done. And that's prompted, you know, individual extremism experts and, you know, advocacy groups to uh, send letters to Austin in just the last couple of months, urging him to talk about any efforts to implement those recommendations or just, you know, give an update on what's been happening. Um, some of them are worried the Pentagon has succumbed to political pressure and stopped its work on the issue. One organization, American Oversight, even sued the Pentagon uh, this year for documents that could provide some insight in, into what the military has been doing. Um, and that case is still ongoing, so we'll see if they get anything out of that. That's it for us this morning. To get more of the top stories and breaking news, go to defensenews.com slash EBB to subscribe to the Early Bird Brief newsletter. Please give us a like, rating, and a comment wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to follow us on social media at defense underscore news and at military times. The Early Bird Brief is hosted by me, Jonathan Lairfeld, and produced by Zimone Z. Perez. If you like Nikki's story, be sure to check out her work at militarytimes.com. Our editor-in-chief is Mike Gruse. Have a great day.